You're listening to another great podcast in the Stoplight Network. So, hey, Tim, is tech fans still free to download? Nope. Five gems. Tech fan number 118, Tim Robertson with David Cohen. Hey, David. Hello. I'm and, good. And we're here to blow your mind. No. <laughs> I was thinking of that earlier. <laughs> maybe we will, maybe we won't. <laughs> yeah, I thought that'd be a weird way to start it. <laughs> Tech fan, we're here to blow your mind. That, that um, is kind of a commercial radio thing where everything... I was listening to... Um, my wife has commercial radio on a lot in the car. I don't tend to listen to it very often, but kind of the, everything the DJs talk about, they make sound like the most exciting thing ever. You know, we've got two with a, we've got an amazing two tickets to this concert this Saturday at the Red Lion Arms in Didsbury. <laughs> and it's like that's that's rubbish. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, they're pretty good at that, but they've had. You know, they know what works on radio. You know what I mean? Yeah. But, but you kind of wonder whether it's, uh, you know, people just put up with that, and whether they're actually really interested or they really do get excited. But then me me feeling like a grumpy old man could well be a uh, a theme for this show. <laughs> grumpy old men. Grumpy old men, yeah. Yeah. Get off my lawn. <laughs> I got birds chirping right outside my window. You said you can hear them. I don't know if the mic's picking it up. Well, I know what it is because, you know, you can hear it, so obviously they are, but I don't know if after, you know, I edit the show down and run it through a couple of filters, whether the uh, listeners are going to hear it or not, but mm-hmm. a lot of mosquitoes right now. Tons of mosquitoes. Uh, we just finished our summer over here. <laughs> we had we had one day of really nice sunny weather last Monday, which was a bank holiday, so that was nice, and now the weather's terrible again, and that'll be it till winter. I hope that... Uh, I have a pretty decent weekend because weather-wise because I have to put up a fence and I'm not looking forward to it. And uh, the only good saving grace really is my dad actually has, I need 35 feet of fence and he says he's got 35 feet of brand new fence, six foot high fence, chain link that I can have. So let's save a little money. Yeah. Doesn't doesn't he need the fence? Though? No, he bought it like ten years ago, and he put up the fence that he's got back there for the dog. Yeah, and he's just had this sitting in the garage ever since. The guy who helped him put the fence up said, "Don't throw this away. This is really high quality fence." So my dad yeah. threw it in the garage, and there it sat. All right. So when I told him I wanted to borrow his uh, post hole digger, super high tech item, and I told him what I was doing that the dogs have destroyed my backyard and we're going to build a dog run for him now so we can reclaim our yard for the children. He said, I've got fence. And I said, I need like 35 feet. <laughs> he said, that's exactly what he has. So serendipity. Yeah. So anyways, let's get on to uh, some tech topics. Uh, of course, this is uh show 118, 117 I did by myself. And, uh, 
That was odd, David. To Number one, I was really tired. I probably shouldn't have done a show then. But uh, I don't know. All day long, I just I had that itch to podcast. Yeah. You get that. You know what I mean. I do. I do. It's, uh, it, it is, it's kind of, um, I suppose, it, I, you know, it's, if you look forward to doing something you really like doing, then you, you know, you want to do it. I agree. Um, uh, I don't have my email running. Crap. You remember, well, it's on the, it's on the iMac and I can boot it up, but I was doing some heavy duty lifting on it just a few minutes ago and I'm afraid if I boot it up, it's going to be, the fans are going to kick on loud again. This is this is what iCloud's meant to solve for us. It's meant to present information to us wherever we want it, without going to different computers. True, and it, and it doesn't. Does it? <laughs> yeah. Are you talking about the uh, suggested topics? Uh, no, I've got that. I got, got an that. email on the last show. I was talking about uh, someone who's taking me up on my offer to help them get a podcast up and off the ground. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Another listener heard that was thinking of doing the same thing around the same topic. Uh-huh. And he wanted to know if I could, you know, make an uh, an introduction between the two, and maybe there's something there that they can collaborate. I'm not saying that's going to happen, but I made the introduction. I thought, this is kind of cool. <laughs> is it Pope Benedict? Because I believe he has lots of time on his hands. Yeah, he's, well, you know, it's a small cottage out back now, and he's yeah. got some time on his hands, so... He thought, well, you know, this is it's. I can kind of keep my name a little bit in the stop spotlight out there. I'm can not imagine, stepping on any toes. Can you imagine how funny that would be if he just basically started, uh, you know, providing a running commentary of his successor's decisions? Well, he <laughs> couldn't. He'd have to agree with them all, right? Well, well, well. No. Well, the thing is, is how you, you presumably once you become pope and you're made infallible, they don't, they can't take that infallibility off you when you stop being pope. So. If you've got two guys who are infallible but have different views... But they can't. They couldn't have different views. That's the problem, David. They'd they'd have to have, by the definition of infallibility, they would both have to have the same opinion on every single subject, yes? Because they can't be wrong. So do you think you get the infallibility extracted then when you stand down? I think they cancel each other out. Right. But it'd be great to hear Pope Benedict, you know, going, oh, that new guy, he's such a bozo. <laughs> what was I thinking? Can I, can I do a take take back? We need, I need to take this back. Uh, funny. So let's talk about tech a little bit. Um, uh, big story broke. We didn't talk about it. Uh, and I didn't talk about it on the last show. But... I don't. I'm. I'm of two minds on this subject. I really, really am. I. I don't know what to think. Uh, from a personal basis, no freaking way. But from a business perspective, I can see it. Adobe is making the entire Creative Suite, which is renamed the Creative Cloud, subscription only, with the new version. You will not be able to go to a store or jump on the internet <clears throat> and buy it, and it's on your computer and it's your software. It's basically renting software forever. Yeah, well, it's, they they would say, and the way they package it up is, it's not renting software; it's subscribing to a service which includes a software. I mean, there, there's lots of online value-added stuff that you get with a subscription. You get, you know, shared storage. You get collaboration tools. You get um, presumably lots of great clip art. I don't know. You get a whole load of stuff. That's why it's called Creative Clouds. The idea is it's a 
you know, a collaboration platform that you're kind of buying into, which of course is they're desperately trying to make it look like you're not renting software because renting software is is kind of it makes people feel uncomfortable. They want to yeah, buy. It's got a negative you know? connotation to it. Now, let me tell you, with my experience with Adobe, they've always had this mindset because, of, you know, I've had situations where I've had perfectly legal, fully boxed and licensed copies of Adobe software, and I've tried to sell them on eBay, and they immediately come along and make eBay take the auction away on the basis that they can't possibly be legitimate for me to resell the software I paid good money for. So from their point of view, uh, they think you're all... you're as far as they're concerned, you've always rented the software because all you, done, all you did was buy a license to use it. Uh, and they've been very vociferous about stopping people reselling it on. You know, it, it kind of gets ridiculous because the way I ended up selling my copy of Adobe Acrobat that I paid for, that I didn't need because work had given me a new version, was I ended up listing it on eBay but not describing it at all in words, only using pictures. It was like a comic book. <laughs> <laughs> I said, here's some software. If you want to see what it is and what it looks like, have a look at the pictures. That was the only way I could stop. I could let the auction run long enough for somebody to buy it. It's ridiculous. You know, and it was kind of, kind of dumb. But the thing is, is that you know, put put your business hat on for a minute. We all know that uh, Adobe Photoshop is probably one of the most, along with Microsoft Windows, probably one of the most pirated pieces of software ever. Um, so I suppose, from the business perspective, Adobe thinks this is a good idea for them um, because. I would imagine they expect by going cloud only, they can prevent you from copying the software. I don't, I don't, I'm sure people will find a way around that because at the end of the day, the thing has to run in memory on your Mac or your PC. So if at some point you have to download a file that allows the thing to run, then it should be technically possible to um, fudge it so it, it's not doing the phone back home or whatever and allows you to run it offline. Um, I do like you know. the fact that, let's say, you only need to use Photoshop for projects maybe three or four times a year at the most. Well, you can run it for that month, use it, and then cancel your subscription, and then that's it until you need it again. Yeah, I, I suppose I suppose that's the, that for that use case, which is pretty pretty um, small. narrow, yep. yeah, I think, I think that's okay. Most people, I'd imagine, in that situation would manage with a cheaper package and let's face it you know some of the uh stuff you can pick up for less than fifty dollars now like pixelmator and uh, acorn and uh, stuff I've, like that or even photoshop elements are very very capable you know i posted uh, up on uh, twitter uh at, you know the day that adobe made this announcement now would be a great time for some developer to make a really good well uh, to make a photoshop killer and uh, I had two or three people reply to me saying, uh, Pixelmator is actually what you're talking about. It's $15. It works really well. I haven't really looked at it. I think I had a version at one point, but it's been a long time, and it's not in either one of my hard drives. <clears throat> but I might have to go back and look at that. It's funny, actually. You remember, I mean, you know, back in the day, before... Adobe really came up with Creative Suite and bundled all their apps together. There were at least five or six graphic packages of, of equal standard to Photoshop uh, and Illustrator as well. I mean, I think I think the difficulty I have with this is that 
if you're, they're expecting most people who are professional, um, you know, who use uh, Creative Suite to to subscribe to the whole lot, so they've got all of the all of the packages. And if we actually look at the cost of that, on an annual basis, it's not too bad. But bearing in mind you'll be doing this in perpetuity, it's a lot of money. <laughs> it's a lot of money. It is, except and, when you take into consideration how quickly Adobe was. Uh, kicking out new versions of CS roughly every 18 months. So if you, I was doing the math, um, yeah. it's actually a little less with the subscription model. If you are an existing user, if you're a brand new user, it's more. But yeah, but aren't we at the point? I mean, really, how many more features can they put into these applications? I mean, there isn't much left that Photoshop can't do. True. Uh, you know, so. So how much how much more value can they continue to add by updating the program, and um, and the you know the thing as well is that is that if you're you know if you go out and buy a cell phone, then um, you know you would expect the uh, you, you know you you get a contract and that, you get that a phone's stu- that phone's really yeah, distracting well, you, isn't it? My, my wife, as I say, so I answer it because she knows that I'm recording a show. <laughs> That's called passive aggressive. <laughs> Oh, gee, David, I'm sorry. Was was that sound bothering you? <laughs> I, don't know, I just, my arms still hung up, so whoever it is will ring back. Um, the lotto people. <laughs> it was, yeah. It blew your one chance, man. This was your one chance to win 15 million pounds. Um, yeah, what, what was last time before the phone interrupted? Yeah, if you go out and buy a cell phone, you get a subsidized price for the hardware because they know that you tied you in for an 18-month contract. Yeah? Yeah. Uh, they make their money back on the revenue. So why the hell is uh, is Creative Suite not a lot cheaper if they're locking you into into a subscription? Why not say uh, here, you know, buy it for eighteen months because that's our typical refresh cycle, um, but it's a lot cheaper than um, than going out and buying the old box copy because I don't think a lot of people. When you know, when you're looking at the bottom line, a lot of companies are going to look at this and say, you know what, this is a big investment. Um, to have this many subscriptions, so uh, let's not do it. I agree. You know, let's look at let's look at alternatives. I, you know, I think Adobe is is a classic monopoly. They, you know, all those graphics packages, all those um, competitors in terms of um, you know the various different things have all been swallowed up. Um, there's no there's no page maker. There's no um, well, Cork no, Express no, still exists, but yeah, it's a, but it's it's not, a, it's a pro- shadow of its former self. Everything is on InDesign now. Yes, because uh, Quark, the company, took the same tactics that I've seen Adobe going down the same path the last few years in that they really started kind of butchering and abusing their customers. Yeah. And people simply got fed up with it. When Adobe came out with InDesign, it was not better than Quark Express. Yeah. It took quite a few versions to get to the level of Cork Express, and some would say it's their equal now. That Cork Express is still extremely well done, and but people switched because they were tired of the crap that they were getting from you know the attitude and the spotty at best customer service from Cork. Uh, and of course, you know uh, Adobe have, have capitalized on the fact that that their applications are all integrated, so you've got a smooth workflow between Photoshop, Illustrator, InDesign, um, you know, a, um, Acrobat for PDF generation and everything. So, so they kind of, you know, there's there's a competitive advantage there. But the, the point is, uh, as I say, the big pack gra- graphics packages are gone, um, the big page layout applications are gone. 
Um, the big illustration packages are all gone. And, and remember, you know, we, I mean, obviously we're very Mac-focused on, on, on this show because we, you know, Macs is what we know best. But um, it's the Windows market that really counts for this stuff. So Pixel Mesa is, you know, is, is great as an alternative to Photoshop. I love it. But the point is, is it's a Mac-only application. Um, yeah, but the creative and, uh, the industries are still massively Mac. And the fact they're starting, the ones that switched over to PC are starting to come back to the Mac again. So yeah. it's still big on Mac. Don't yeah. Don't kid yourself. But, uh, but I, I, I think, I think this is a tough sell, um, and uh, you know it'll be interesting to see how it goes. But as I say, I'm disapp- A lot of things that Adobe does as a business disappoint me. Um, I was disappointed to see that it wasn't cheaper because I think if they really want to get people into this, if you want to make make people do something that. Um, we all know is in your company's interest, but not necessarily in your customer's interest. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Then at least throw them a bone and make it cheaper. Yeah. At least try and encourage people to, to, uh, to do it by, by giving them some sort of incentive rather than just giving them all the marketing spiel about how wonderful this, this new thing is, is going to be. So you're actually doing them a favor by making them pay monthly rather than pay up front. Yeah, you know, and Microsoft other- kind of did that a little bit with windows when they came out with windows eight, you could buy it relatively cheaply for what the first six months. I mean, I think I think given the reception Windows Eight had, they should have made that permanent deal. But yeah, well, that's that's a separate conversation. The other thing as well is Adobe's still playing the same tricks they've always done. They've been prosecuted for the um, different price levels they price their products for yep. in different markets. Um, they've been castigated here in the UK for it. Um, in fact, you know, the, it was not so long ago that somebody did a study to say if you wanted to buy a copy of Creative Suite, it was cheaper to buy a ticket, fly to New York, buy it there, and, and fly back than it was to pay the UK price. Wow! Including the flight, including the flight costs. Um, and of course, you know, I was I was mildly interested in thinking, well, you know, the, maybe there's the one app only deal which is cheaper to cheaper to start with might be good for me so i had to look at how much it was and it's ten dollars a month for photoshop only um for the subscription service in uh in the u.s how much is it here in the uk nine pounds which is about 14 15 dollars yeah but it's got to yeah. send it over some long wires david well <laughs> exactly <laughs> application running from the same place there is no excuse for it and at that point i thought no forget it I'm not interested. It's, not uh, interested. I don't know, the, the day of the giant software suite seems to have passed, except for Adobe. They're the only, and Microsoft with, with Microsoft. Office. But yeah. those are the two things that seem to be hanging on to this classic 90s business model. It's this suite, uh, and 2000s, I guess. It's the suite of applications that are the business norm. These are the ones that you have to have on your computer. Those days seem to be going away, in my opinion. I don't see... You know, I deal with with people buying Macs all day long. And I don't see those applications flying off the shelves like they used to. Yeah. You know, a a lot of Mac, especially Mac users, they have... You know, I I talked to uh, this lady who does graphic design. And she was finally updating her computer from a PowerBook G4. And she does, you know, it's it's kind of a side business, but she takes it seriously. And she wanted to know about migrating all of her apps and stuff. And we told her, none of your apps will work on the new computer. None. Because she's come from PowerPC. Yeah. And she was kind of dumbfounded. She said, well, what do I do? I said, well, you 
going to have to buy new, buy new ones. Well, she knew she wasn't going to buy the Microsoft Office suite anymore because we showed her Google Docs or Google yeah. Drive or whatever the hell it's called now, as well as pages and numbers and those. <laughs> and she wanted to know about Photoshop. And uh, there really wasn't, you know, anything we could show her that could do everything that she needed it to do in her mind. Uh, but she said she was going to think about it. She still bought the computer. We we migrated her data, just not her apps. But she was going to figure out what she can use as an alternative because she just she could not afford it. And this was before the subscription came out. This was, yeah. you know... She she was gonna have to buy. I think it was a a discounted price because she had a previous version, but it still wasn't cheap. I think she said something like, "This is like twenty projects to pay for this totally." And it was like, yeah. "Oh, your projects are cheap then because it's not that expensive." Yeah. Um, I I mean I mean I suppose what I might be tempted to do in that if I was in that situation was to I presume she had a copy of Tiger or something like that is to buy a copy of Fusion VMware Fusion and run Tiger inside Fusion um, is possible to get she that was, to go. she wasn't that person she, was, she wasn't no she wasn't technical no no so it and, and I think a lot of people are like that I think a lot of people are going to hit that ceiling with the cost and the justification for these giant software packages and they're gonna start if they haven't already looking for alternatives you know it, it, a company like ours we used to sell almost one-to-one office with your new mac i mean it was just yeah. a given it's rare when we sell office with a new mac now people don't buy it yeah so yeah i i, I mean it Office is a is a business tool now, so it's not it's not a default choice for individuals anymore. It isn't. Let's take no. a quick break, David, and uh, we'll be right back. Hello, Mark. How are you today? I am doing well. Everyone, listen to not another Mac podcast because it is fun. Aha. Elisa Pacelli, Suze Gilbert, Vicky Stokes, women. Savvy, geeks, three geeky ladies, technology from a female perspective. Tech Fan 118, Tim Robertson with David Cohen. And we were talking, I was talking last week, David, on the solo show about 4K televisions. And uh, yeah. you, you, I know you had to have been sitting there just biting the inside of your mouth wishing that you were on that show because i could hear you talking as i was talking about the 4k yeah, yeah i mean obviously i very broadly agree with you it, we you know we we have this situation where it whole industries are constantly driving very quick technical upgrade cycles and and seem to have this bizarre expectation that you know having just dropped a whole load of money on a on a new uh, you know, it's different from a phone or a tablet, you know. Or even those, a computer. Yeah, those things in, in the grand scheme of things nowadays are much cheaper than they used to be. You know, uh, a, a PowerBook used to be two and a half, three thousand dollars $3,000. Now it's $1,000. Uh, but an so, average TV is less than that, David. Why aren't we upgrading those as much? Because it's just a... It's a it's television. A, it looks a, good. It's fine. Yeah, you, you put it in your living room and, and then, you know, you don't want to be 
taking things out of your living room, putting new things in. And it's big, it's bulky. What do you do with the old one? Yeah. Um, and, 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 yeah, we have this problem that... that the, and it goes back to what I was just saying before about, uh, uh, about Adobe Photoshop. How the improvements you can put into things nowadays, we've got so much power and, and technology available to us, the improvements are fairly incremental. And and they're not and just doing technical improvements just doesn't cut it anymore. People well, Sony and the other television manufacturers would say, well, no, 4K really is uh, that leap. It's four times better than which technically it isn't. It's four times better than HD. But yeah, but it doesn't matter if it's better if it's only best four times better than something that's already very good. Right. You know, a uh, a gold toilet. <laughs> might be four times better than a, a fine porcelain toilet. But at the end of the day, it does pretty much the same function in the same way. So you only want the gold toilet if you want to show off the fact that you can afford to buy a gold toilet. I think that's you know the market I mean? right now for 4K. It's a show-off yeah. thing. But but I, I, the point I, I made in, in the... In the, in the um, in the topic this about this is actually I blame Apple for all of this. This is all Apple's fault. The upgrade cycle, the shiny new? Uh, Apple, because they have several times <coughs> in the last 10 years, they have reinvented markets. Yeah, they have come into, uh, you know, they haven't defined new markets themselves. They've never done that. They've come into an existing market with a different way of doing it. And they have radically reshaped those markets yep. around themselves. Absolutely. Look at the uh, the iPod. That was yep. not the first MP3 player. iPods yep. or MP3s existed for five yeah, years. Five years, yes, yeah, something like that. They come out. They show a good way to make a better one, tying it in with your computer. Easy management with the jukebox software, iTunes. You create your own playlist. Blah 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 blah. But it was a premium price product. They released it. You know what? Eight months later on Windows. Clever marketing. It exploded. Now, yeah. I don't think that the iPod was popular because of marketing. It, I think it helped, but I think it was just a, the most elegant solution when it came to MP3 players. Yeah, uh, and then they, you know, then they they really demonstrated how to um, keep that lead by taking you know a smaller product like the Mini, which was even more popular than the bigger iPod. It was, and then after twelve months, killing it and replacing something that was impossibly tiny, but did the, the same thing. Uh, and you know they they for for obviously the iPod line is now no, nothing like what it was because the things have moved on, but you know for a period of six years they were the undisputed market leader in MP3, and then they did the same with the phone. Still is, by the, the way. So still, well, yeah, because basically they they took that market over. And yeah, even there is no the MP3 market. market. It's it's iPod market. Still, yeah, it is an iPod market, and then they did the same with the iPhone. Um, and yes, it's not been as dominant in that they've had some serious competition from Android and others there. But nevertheless, they are still a, a huge player. And I would argue are the defining player. Well, they make, what, 70% of the profits on phones? Yes. Yeah. And, and certainly <laughs> certainly they lead the market in terms of innovation. Absolutely. Um, uh, and and then, then the iPad as well, a, 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 the tablet market, which was moribund to the point that people didn't really think it existed anymore. And uh, when the iPad was launched, it was laughed. The tech press laughed it effectively out of the room until they saw the sales figures. Um, and I'm sure that Apple will continue to do that. But the problem is, is that has led other less innovative manufacturers to think, 
Like, they don't understand what Apple did, which was to, instead of just coming out with something that's better technically, is to actually redefine the way those markets operate. Yep. The iPod was so successful, not because it was technically a better MP3 player than... I mean, to be fair, okay, there weren't many hard drive MP3 players when that came out. No. Nope. So, so, you know, it was a bigger MP3 player. But in terms of how it sounded, how it functioned, it had a nice user interface that was fairly intuitive. But... You know that it wasn't it, that in itself would not have been good enough. It was iTunes. It was the deals with the music companies. It was the ease of buying music. It was the integration with the PC or the Mac. It was the simple syncing. The point that anybody knew how to do it. Just plug in the cable and it will sync. It was so intuitive that that whole experience is what redefined the MP3 market, not the device itself. And that's what, you know, companies like Sony don't get. You can't redefine the television market by just coming up with a better TV that's, oh, it's got more specs. It's got, you know, it's got 3D. It's got this gimmick. It's got that, that gimmick. They're only going to see that sort of success if they change the way TVs are done rather than just pushing the latest technical gimmick. But I don't, you know, but Sony's always been that way, though, going all the way back to the 70s. They've, that's the company Sony's have, they, they've always been that way. I remember the upgrade paths to Walkmans. They, it was the same thing. It wasn't a better Walkman, but they tried to, it had better specs, but you still slid your cassette in, you still hit play and you still walk down the road. The headphones were always crappy with them. I mean, they didn't change anything significantly with the new models, but you kind of wanted a new model because it was the new shiny boom boxes were the same. Boom boxes started out fairly small and they got bigger and bigger and bigger, and eventually they added CD. And I even saw some boom boxes with record players built in them. For God's yeah. sake, What's, that's that was retarded. But but that but that was the way those markets operated because back then there was no Apple in consumer electronics. So but I think Sony's still doing the same thing. But, well, that's it. I mean, pretty much the rest of the entire market is doing it the same way. Nobody else has seen the memo that you know the way to big profits is not to do it the way you've done it before right but and, you said it's you know, apple's they, fault it's not apple's fault apple has redefined that I'm, upgrade I'm, path i know you're I being am, facetious yeah, being, being facetious in that apple has demonstrated that if you do this right you can move into a sector where you are not dominant and you can dominate and everybody sees that and they believe you know the rubbish that's written in the tech press that oh it's just clever marketing oh it's uh you know oh it's just the reality distortion field oh it's just the apple fanboys leading the way oh it's just the halo effect from uh, other products and they think oh so all we need to do is just kind of you know do something similar and and one one day we'll we'll find the uh you know the diamond of the rough we'll find the pot at the end of the rainbow and all of a sudden we'll be like that and they don't seem to understand that the way it's done is not just by churning out more products, more products, different products, better products, and all of a sudden people are just going to take it up. You know, that does happen, but it's very, very rare. You know, there are, there are products you could point at where, you know, I, I would say something like the Prius as an example, something that turned what was a niche technology, hybrid cars, into something that became a real monster and is now directing what other people are doing in the market i don't think that was, prius did that i think that was a changing attitude of a lot of different things happening it, all it at the was, same but time I, but i think i think you could look at the prius as the poster child for that well i think and, they benefited from a change in attitude in worldwide but, that, but that's what i mean this is what the tv manufacturers are trying to do they're 
they're bringing in 4K and they're hoping it takes off. They're mm-hmm. hoping it goes off like a rocket. They don't. They're not making it go off like a. Ro- they're hoping that their timing will just, you know, uh, just be right. That everybody will go mad for it and everybody will throw out the TVs they have and go for a 4K TV. And they're my, not actually planning. Right. And my you know, point not, was that they're trying to push this new technology where the infrastructure simply doesn't exist to support it. Nothing is broadcast in 4K. And if it was, it would have to be so heavily compressed because people are not going to stand for less channel choices, even though, you know, 90% of them you never, ever watch. Still, um, they're going to have to compress that down to probably HD quality as far as size, which is going to lead to artifacts and you lose picture quality. And But how many stations... Uh, local television stations are just now finally broadcasting in true HD. Yeah, well, it's not. I mean, it's bigger than it's bigger than that. If you want to, uh, I think a lot of stuff is now filmed in 4K digital. Yeah, because you know the red red cameras, which are, were the first 4K digital cameras, have been fairly successful, and I think people who who want a digital workflow recognize that start with the best quality at the beginning, uh, and then as you move down the quality chain to HD. Uh, it's easier, but the problem is, is to to expect a full end-to-end 4K workflow for your average TV show or your average movie company is just ridiculous because they're not going to want to edit. The 4K is a massive amount of data. They're not going to want to to tape, generate, edit, post-process, do all the CGI, do all the things that goes into modern television production at 4K from end to end because they haven't got the equipment to do it. They just replace everything. And people just aren't going to do that because at the end of the day, the television manufacturing business is a money business. It's about yep. how much, how much can we, uh, how much advertising <coughs> can we generate for what we invest in the shows we make. And even with a reality TV show that's that's cheap to make, if you if you do the whole thing in 4K, yeah, it it's going to jump up the 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 manufacturing costs of those shows massively and for what benefit so you can see the uh you know the the makeup covered zits on honey boo boo's face slightly better that's what i was hoping for (laughs) (laughs) somebody said to me the other day because they know that obviously i know more about american culture than many people due to uh you know my uh my relationship with you and that sort of thing and they went they said this honey boo boo thing is that real <laughs> and i said well i think we will find the jury's out on that really <laughs> you know the funny thing about that show is uh and, and full disclosure i've actually never watched it no, i think i've not. caught a few <laughs> episodes walking by a television or something when it's been left on that channel clips on youtube yeah I, but i've never it's it's not in my wheelhouse and i'm not saying it's a bad show i don't know i'm not i'm not gonna prejudge it simply because it appears you know, it, it it seems like it's this thing, and maybe it is, and it probably is, but I've never seen it, so I'm not going to say it's a terrible show. Um, but it, it's kind of the look at this, let's laugh at these people. Yeah. But and that kind of bothers me. Yeah. But every clip I've ever seen, or any time I've walked by television that it's been playing on, this Honey Boo Boo and her family and stuff. They're laughing and having good times, and I thought, you know, there's something to be said for that. I think. Uh, yeah, look, <laughs> the, I, they, I, they don't I, seem I, like they're miserable. I think a lot of reality TV is is has an element of exploitation. That's more sure. people want to watch it. But I think in that case, 
those people are making a lot of money from what they're doing. I think they are pretty happy, and they're not as dumb, I would imagine, or certainly people in that family are not as dumb as they might come across on the TV. I think, you know, there are other modes of TV, um, reality TV, where people are being exploited and laughed at a bit more and are not really reaping any benefits from it, apart from being, you know, um, the next guy on, on the list to be, to be laughed at. And, and those things make me a little bit more uncomfortable. Yeah, but, me um, too. But the point is, is that, that yeah, the, the reality TV just shows you the TV industry is about making cheap TV. It's not about making expensive TV or necessarily even quality TV. That's right. You know, uh, the flat so, panel revolution that's going on right now, everyone's replacing the, the older big square TVs with flat panels. Yeah. And they have been for the last five years. Um, they're not doing that because the, these TVs look so much better. I mean, they do, and they, that's why they want them. But they didn't upgrade until the price was right. And the prices are right now. And I, I just I don't see... Well, yeah, but uh, you know what? Even if, even if a, you could go out and buy a 4K TV tomorrow for $500, I wouldn't buy one. Because I, I think the problem is if you throw too much technology at something that's not ready, it looks worse. I'd much rather that Sony and Samsung and LG and all the other big uh, television manufacturers spent more effort perfecting what they have now, um, particularly in the areas of user interface. And, oh, my and God. Tell me about it. I was thinking exactly the same thing. You know what? Instead of giving me a 4K TV... How about you, you work on your operating system within the TV itself? Because yeah. I've never had one that was at all intuitive or easy to use. But, no. you know, the thing is, David, that's not just televisions. <clears throat> Our alarm system at work, I had to delete a user or two. And it was one of the most complex things I've ever had to do. It's, it's terrible trying to figure out how to use this alarm system other than arming it and disarming it. Beyond that, everything... Extremely complicated. Yeah. Same thing with our phone system. Have you ever actually messed around with a, a, a workplace phone system? Oh, my God. We're just, we're, you know, we're just replacing ours because the one we have, we've had for about five years, and nobody does anything with it apart from make calls because they can't understand how to use it. Right. You know. Right. And yet we're all used to touch devices and laptops and these very complex operating systems under the hood, but... The companies that make these, including Microsoft, I'm going to give props out there, including Microsoft, somewhat including Linux, but not as much, um, have made it easier to use and understand. They've given us metaphors within these devices to help us understand what's going on. The desktop. Oh, I get that. A new folder. Well, it's not a folder. It's a directory. Yeah. I mean, it's easy to, to, to use these metaphors because it helps us and humans understand the concepts for very complex things like a directory. Yeah. And yet, it's only happening in computers, phones, and tablets. It's not happening he, anywhere else. But he, even even there, I mean, the interfaces are improving, but the... the the jargon. The I I I was I was uh, I told you last um, last Monday was a bank holiday and it was a nice day so we we took our kids out to um, a place near here. It's, it, they, it's a kind of like a garden centre. They sell plants and stuff like that. But they have a, a miniature steam railway the kids can ride on and they they have you know pottery classes and you know things the kids can do. So we we spent the afternoon there. It was a nice afternoon. But while the kids were inside, um, kind of painting up pottery. I was sat outside because I couldn't, um, you know, with my back, I can't sit for very long. So I was kind of like stalking around outside. And ah, I overheard, get off my line. Right? Yeah. 
<laughs> I overheard this conversation between uh, a family who were sat at a table near near where I was, and it, and it, and it, it really it really made me stop and think. Okay, they all had smartphones. Uh, I think one was an iPhone, the other a couple of Android phones there, and they were kind of you know you know how people do. They sit down and they when they've got nothing better to do, they t- sit there tinkering with their phones. Sure. And then one of them, the one of them, and she this was a, a middle aged woman, so she was probably you know late forties or fifties. She said, "Oh, um." I'm thinking about getting a tablet. To which the the guy who was there, who was younger, was probably about my sort of age, said, "Oh well, right, okay, yeah. Um, what 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 are you what are you thinking about getting?" Oh, she said, oh, "I don't know, maybe one of those Amazon ones. What's it, the Kindle Fire?" And then and then the guy said, "He said, oh, you're still going to need a dongle for that." Uh, by that he meant kind of you know a, uh, a most most mobile broadband sold in the UK is sold as a USB device with a, a SIM in it that gives oh, you 3G I gotcha. yeah sure. yeah so that's that's what people mean over here when they say dongle so I mean I thought you can't plug one of those into a into a, a tablet and she goes she goes what do you mean a dongle she says she says I I thought it comes with Wi-Fi he says yeah but to use Wi-Fi you need a contract so you've got to have a dongle hmm yeah and um, and she went, oh, right, then, okay, well, I'll have to give that. And I thought to myself, this is ridiculous, yeah? Why are companies doing such a bad job of explaining to people what the difference is between Wi-Fi and mobile 3G and all of this sort of thing? Because, obviously, these people, you know, they're not experts. They've not sat... They, this, is a, this is a woman who's shopping, yeah? She's talking about her shopping choices. Obviously, the only information that she's getting is what she sees from advertising, what she sees in the stores. And it's not clear to her, and not clear to this other guy, what the difference is between Wi-Fi and mobile 3G. And she's probably going to go to the store, whichever tablet she's going to get, she's going to end up being, being sold one with 3G and a contract in that she probably doesn't need. Yep. Yeah? And, and the point is, is that I don't understand why technology has to be made so difficult to, to people who aren't who aren't fans of it, who aren't interested. Most of that, though, David, to, to, to be honest, is because the companies that are making these products aren't hiring designers or human interface experts. They're hiring engineers and salespeople. Marketing, salespeople, engineers. You build it. Okay, yeah, I, I can build it, but, you know, I don't know how, you know. Oh, that's fine. Just build it. You market it. We'll sell the crap out of it. And that's been going on for a very long time. It's it's the rare company, and I know we keep coming back to Apple, but there's a reason for this. There's a, It's a rare company that can actually make a device that's accessible to the vast majority of people who would be interested in buying it. Yeah. You remember how bad the operating systems were on cell phones until the iPhone oh, came out? Yeah. They were terrible. Yeah. Just, I but, mean, they were atrocious. Yeah. But to, to play devil's advocate... Just for a minute, uh, I think even with the with the iOS devices, you pick those up. You pick an iPad with 3G on it. I think it's very difficult for the uninitiated to understand what the difference is between 3G uh, and uh, Wi-Fi and and VPN and stuff like that. And and the I- iOS is still peppered with all of those terms. Yep. It's you know it's still there's still a certain amount of of assumption that you will have 
enough technical knowledge um, to be able to drive some of this stuff. And okay, you know, you can give Apple a bit of a, of a buy-in that they've invested a lot of money in, an, in a, a store infrastructure full of people who are knowledgeable and well-trained to help the uninitiated. And they do a lot of work on that, which is very different from pretty much anybody else who sells that sort of gear. Yep. But nevertheless... You know, I would like to see in iOS 7, 8, and 9, you know, Johnny Ive is running it now. I'd like to see um, that stuff become more transparent to people in a way that kind of works. Uh, the, the press over here is full of uh, stories about all these people who, you know, whose kids have run up hundreds of or thousands of pounds worth of uh, spend on, on apps. on it. In a, in oh, you know what? Sort of I've, I've got a story on that, David. Yeah? Yeah, I just it happened to me yesterday. I, uh, you know, I don't work on the showroom floor very often in Oak Park, uh, but occasionally, you know, I'm out there talking to someone and a customer will walk in and I actually like working with people, so I'll help people. So this lady comes in, she's pushing a stroller and she's got like a two-year-old in the stroller and she says, uh, I said, can I help you? And she wants to know if we can help her with her iTunes account because she thinks it might've been hacked. So she thought we were Apple. She saw yeah. the Apple logo. It looks like an Apple store inside. This is where I'm going to go. Yeah. Well, I didn't dissuade her in that we're not Apple. I can't. I probably can't help no. you. I said, sure, let me take a look. Well, yeah. Do it's, you it's know? A bad, you, well, bad, bad way to have <coughs> customer right. conversation is say, we probably aren't the right people you should be speaking right. to. Right. So I turned the iMac towards her and the keyboard and the mouse. I said, well, let's first of all, let's have you sign into your iTunes account here on this computer. And don't worry. When we're done, I'll sign you out. We can't get back into it. Yeah. So she happily signed in. I went to her account. I looked at her recent purchases. And there's hundreds of dollars of in-app purchases. And I, and I start going down the list. I said, do you, have, do you have a little one at home that plays games on an iPad or an iPhone? And she says, my six-year-old. And sometimes my 12-year-old. So I said, does he play this game? Yes. Does he play this game? Yes. Does he play this game? Yes. I said, well... The problem is he's purchased in-app purchases on all of these. Now, see this one here? He spent $150 on some kind of a gems, it says. A gem pack. And this lady was livid. Because yeah. the 11 or 12-year-old knows the iTunes password. Yeah. She gave it to the 6-year-old. The 6-year-old types it in every time it asks because he wants more things for his game. Now, who does she get mad at? The 6-year-old? How do you get mad at a six? I've got a, a five-year-old. Yeah. He'll be six this December. Yeah. I can't get mad at him for in-app purchases. That's not his fault. Uh, no. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's one of those situations. I mean, with with my my daughter is four. I mean, she's pretty good at understanding when she's told not to do something. But you can't blame her if she's not told not to do it. And she will take directions from anybody. My my ten-year-old will quite happily tell her to do something, and she will do it. As far as she's concerned, anybody who tells her to do something, that's cool. That's cool. You know. Yep. So yeah, it's how do you how do you get angry about that? I mean, she's angry, she's yeah. livid, but you know, she was about to go to her bank and report fraud. Well, yeah. she was glad that I at least could answer her question. Yeah. Now, now you know, I've sat down and and I think there is some responsibility from parents here to understand that, you know, they the controls are there and they need to put them in place. And uh, but and a lot obviously a lot of people don't bother or just kind of think it will be okay and that sort of thing. But again, I have to say, I think Apple does have to take some some fault for this. I think it's too opaque to people. Yep. Um, that uh, that you can you know and and they should have a they should have controls on there. So all of a sudden you start running up 
hundreds and hundreds of dollars worth of in-app purchases, there should be a process where, you know, somebody contacts them and says, are you sure this is what you want to do? Exactly. Are you aware this is going on? Right. Because you know what? This is an unusual pattern of purchasing. Uh, and, and frankly, to be honest, I, I think it's... I think it's disgusting that manufacturers are allowed to, uh, that software developers are allowed to put apps in the store that allow you to buy things in that sort of quantity just to play a game. Oh, I agree. Know? I think yeah. I think Apple that, really that, needs that, that to... Is, that is directly Apple's responsibility. Absolutely. I agree. I totally agree yeah. with you. And some people say, well, yeah, but the, it's part of parenting is you got to be responsible. Yeah, that's true, except there's so much of this out there now. You can't stay on top of everything. Yeah. Otherwise, your full-time job is to be home watching the kids 24-7. And then yeah, and you can't afford groceries or a house. or. And, and if, you go, if, you, if you go onto an iPad, let's use the iPad as an example, it doesn't jump out at you, the, uh, the parenting restrictions. Right. It's just another blue box on the list. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's not even at the top of the list. Yeah, and if Apple wants to take this seriously in iOS 7, when you set up a new Multi-user. IPad, the, uh, well, multi-user is one thing, but the, I think t- at the very minimum, when you turn the iPad on, yeah, and you run through the setup thing, the first thing it should do is go through an in-app policy uh, and parental restrictions thing. Do you want to do this? And then I think the parental restrictions area needs to be a, either, either on top of the settings list or a separate app. Yeah. But, you know, I think so you, I think you take care of it quite honestly, David, with multi with multi user on iOS yeah, devices. But you know what? A lot of people aren't going to be bothered. They're going to sting out and they're going to give it to their kids, and they're not going to be interested in multi user. Particularly if they're going to say, "Well, the, the kids the only one who's going to be using it, so we're not interested in multi user." Well, if you present it in the way that you just explained, yeah. you set up the main user, and then the next thing it says, "Do you have children who's going to use this device? Yes or no?" You so, click yes, and then the yeah. next thing is. You know, going through why you want a multi-user. This will oh, turn off Wi-Fi, so your child can't access the internet. You won't be charged hundreds of dollars if they accidentally yeah. buy purchases or in-app purchases. I think most parents will go, "Oh, yeah, that makes sense." Yeah, I don't want. I don't a- want my kid on the internet on accident. Let's get uh, a kid's perspective on this. My son is here, so mm-hmm. why don't we ask him? Because he 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 has an iPad and he he has um he knows what it's about to buy things. So, coming in, Alexander. Tim's going to ask you about um, about purchasing things on your iPad, okay? Hi, Alexander. How are you? I'm good. Good. Yeah. It's, it's been a while since I've talked to you. Yeah, I know. So I've got a question for you. When there's something in a game on an iPad that you can upgrade, but it costs money, do you know, Does do you recognize that you're not supposed to do that? You mean the in-app purchases? That's what I mean, exactly. Yeah. Do you think your friends know about in-app purchases? Well, yeah, probably, because if they kind of want something for it, they they can get it, so they can they can access more more stuff that they want to use. Like, on the Skylanders Lost Islands, you can buy gems to be able to buy different houses to collect from. And you have to go to your dad before you can do that, right? Yeah. Do you think that Apple should make it harder in case kids figure out what passwords are? Because if you know what the password is, you don't have to go to your parent. You can just do it. Now, you're going to get in trouble because they'll see that you just bought some stuff. But some kids are still doing that anyways because they're younger than you and don't really understand what they're doing. 
they don't really understand that this is costing real money. Do you think Apple should make it harder for people to buy stuff? They should kind of like upgrade the restrictions for it. Mm-hmm. Upgrade restrictions. No. So like, so kind of like when you when if if somebody tried to go in, it they they should they should have like a code. Do you, what is the restrictions password? And and then you should be able to do that, but you shouldn't have access to do that on your own. So what do you think about an iPad when your dad hands it to you that you have to sign into a different account? And that turns off, say, Wi-Fi, and you can't browse the Internet through Safari. All you can do is play games on it. Do you think that would be better? Not really. No? No. How come? It, it's kind of like because... Children should, and they shouldn't. It's kind of like a half and half. It's a fifty-fifty. I gotcha. I understand. Well, thank mm. you very much for your time, buddy. I appreciate it. Yeah. That, of course, was Alexander, David's son. And uh, are you still there, Alexander? Yeah. Okay, you can give it back to your dad now. Okay. Thanks, buddy. <laughs> I thought he was still holding it. Hey. Hello. It was hard for me to explain to him what I was trying to get at. Yeah. But uh, I like his answers, though. He, you know, he's a smart kid. Yep. And, and, but, he, but, you know, he has been told not to go in. Well, I turn the app store off, but he knows not to go in the app store. He's, you know, he's been warned that if you get free apps because obviously he goes to his friends houses and they have stuff you know uh-huh. he's been warned that if you get if you get a free app that at some point it's probably going to ask you to buy something and he's been warned that you shouldn't do that my uh, daughter and also his, yeah his his he's his machine is not normally logged into any itunes account so um th- there's no way you can kind of put a password in to actually get it to to do anything my daughter will bring me my iPad because she uses mine quite often, as does Cole, our five-year-old. And they want to do something, and they'll bring it to me because they don't know what my password is. I change it somewhat regularly. She'll bring me my iPad because it's asking for something. For instance, there's a cartoon, I think it's a Cartoon Network app that uh, you can play games and stuff like that on it, but it also will allow you to stream episodes of different shows. Except to do that, you have to sign into your cable provider, so you, they know that you know you pay for cable yeah. and that you have access to it. And it doesn't; it never remembers my username and password for Comcast. Never, ever, ever, ever remembers it. I tell it to, it forgets. So every time she wants to use this app, she'll bring it to me, and she'll say, "Could you sign in?" I kind of like that, though. Yeah, yeah, but the, the problem is, is that you know kids are savvy and they can watch you type a password in and then they know what a password is yeah uh and uh you know that situation with with your customer is the the older kid knew what the password is and told what the younger kid what the password was uh-huh uh and uh they probably what- because the little one kept coming up to him going yeah. i can't do this i can't do this and she saw what the password was the older kid didn't probably think and you know what it was skylanders that that was the app, by the way. That's exactly what it was. You know, this is what Alexander said. I think if we had a simple rule, no app is allowed to have any gems in it at all. <laughs> we could solve this problem. Yeah, Gem, gems are obviously the, uh, you know, the crack to the kids. Yeah, and it, this was exactly <laughs> what it was. Uh, I couldn't remember the name until he said Skylanders, and I was like, ah, that's what it was. 
Yeah, I think I think there needs to be better, stronger, and more understandable restrictions on devices now. So this kind of thing can't happen. I know it's anecdotal evidence that this is going on, but I've got firsthand knowledge. You know, a lady walked in and this is the problem. There was some statistics banded around in the press over here um, the other day. Now, you know, obviously they're trying to sensationalize this, but they were talking about millions of pounds a year yeah. being being spent on uh, on unwanted in-app purchases. Uh, I think I think it's certainly it's it's a problem. However, whatever the scale of it is, it's a problem that needs dealing with. Well, here's and the thing from Apple's perspective: this woman's not mad at the company who makes the app. She doesn't yeah. think of this app as it's another company who made this and it was available for the iPad. She doesn't think of it that way. She thinks of it as the iPad or the iPod Touch, technically. That it's it's Apple's fault. Because Apple is the one who charged her for this. Yeah. The credit card says clearly that it's Apple Computer or Apple mm-hmm. Incorporated. Yeah. That's who she's going to blame. And if this keeps becoming a larger and larger problem, that's really bad PR for Apple. From, so from just that perspective, forget about them being nice and helping parents. Just from that perspective, they're going to have to do something. Well, I think, you know, the, the app store is curated. They made a big deal of that, and this is what comes with that. Um, <clears throat> yeah. they, can't, they can't abrogate the response. And to be fair, I don't think they are. Uh, I don't think they've, they've turned around and said, oh, you know what, this is, this is parents' problem. It's not our problem. I'm sure that they are concerned about this, but I, I'd really like to see some changes in this area, and we'll see what happens with iOS 7. You know, I don't think that they want to restrict the third-party developers for making money. Because there's a reason that there's so many apps on the i and very quality, great apps as well. Yeah. Um, and they don't want to put the kibosh on that because that would kill their platform. But by the same token, they can't have this kind of a backlash happening. So there's a there's definitely a, a balancing act. And let's be honest, David, this is this is all brand new stuff. Yeah, we're we're talking about a, a, a roughly a six year old platform at this point. Yeah, for developers and Apple and anyways. We're running, uh, coming up on our hour here, David. So I guess we should wrap it up. We had some other topics, but uh, I think we'll we're gonna, it. you know, let's save that. We got to come up with a, a name for this. We were talking about, you know, grumpy men, but we didn't really get to the topic. Yeah. About being grumpy. So uh, I don't know. What do you think? What's a good title for this show? Um, how about gems are bad? Gems are bad. I'm gonna write it. Hold on. <laughs> How about just bad gems? Bad gems, yeah. There you go, bad gems. This has been Tech Fan Podcast number 18. If you guys want to contact us, the email address is Tim or David at techfanpodcast.com, or you can go to techfanpodcast.com and uh, leave a comment. We did have a comment from the last show. Peter Bird wrote in, David. He said, uh, Hi, Tim. I agree with you about the ethics involved. If you take money to do a review, then it compromises the review and your reputation. As for 4K yep. televisions, I wouldn't buy one if money was no object. I'm very familiar with 4K as it's something we have at work. It's a very good quality, but it's not big enough difference from 1080, at least for me. So it sounds like Peter agrees with both of uh, the topics that I talked about last week and my opinions thereof. Yep. And you as well, because I already knew what your opinion on the ethics uh, in reviews, oh, yeah. I, I already knew it. Because we've talked about it here before, and I'm very passionate about that. Yeah, and uh, it's nice to hear that the there's listeners out there who agree. 
course, we'd love to hear it if you disagree. In fact, sometimes that's even better because then we can, uh, I don't know, rant and rave against you. <laughs> no, we, we love it when people disagree with us. It's fantastic. So, again, Tim or David at Tech... I, I'm saying that like that's one word. It's Tim at TechFanPodcast.com or David at TechFanPodcast.com or leave a message on the website and we will... Uh, We'll be back next week. Cool. Thanks, David. 